Good evening, everybody. Good evening. If you'd open up your Bibles to John, the 15th chapter, Brother Mitchell, you nearly started preaching my sermon for me before I ever even got up. John, the 15th chapter, we are going to read uh, those verses that Mitchell alluded to a few moments ago. That'll help set the stage for everything that we want to talk about tonight from the Word of God. John, chapter 15. In fact, you may even just keep your marker in John 15. We'll bounce out of it, but come back to it several different times as we work together in the Scriptures. It's great to see everybody tonight. Had a, just a, a great hour of worship this morning. Uh, had a great uh, a continued hour of worship at Gertrude's house. If you was able to be there for that, and most of you were able to be there for that. Just a encouraging time, emotional time, but encouraging as well. And just good to be back again tonight to sing these good songs and uh, to pray that good prayer and to just be together once again as as God's people and doing doing God's things. In John the fifteenth chapter, I want to get right to it tonight. Tonight's lesson. I've already told the young people that I had in the Bible drill, all of our kiddos, tonight's lesson, it's for everybody, but I have especially tailored it for the benefit of our young people. And when I say our young people, I'm talking even all the way down to like our elementary age kids, maybe even preschool kids. We'll talk about things in a very simple kind of manner, yet profound in a way, because these are truths that are contained in God's Word, and I hope they'll be helpful for everybody of every age. So read with me in John the 15th chapter. This is verse 13, Jesus on the very night in which he uh, was going to be arrested and will be delivered over into the hands of men to ultimately be crucified, he has this opportunity with his disciples in the upper room, and he says to them in John fifteen thirteen, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, For the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. What would it be like if you woke up one morning and you pulled out your smartphone or you turned on the internet and you logged into Facebook and... Bing! A friend request. And you get looking at the friend request, you don't immediately recognize the picture of the face on there, but you start looking and specifically it's a friend request from Jesus Christ. Jesus the Lord wants to be your friend. What do you do when you get a friend request from Jesus? I got a friend request last year from a WWE wrestler. I thought that was pretty amazing. So that's a pretty famous person. Come to find out it was a hoax. It wasn't really him. It was somebody pretending to be him. But I was kind of shook in that moment. What do you do? This famous person wants to be my friend. Well, what do you do when Jesus says, I want to be your friend? That text that we just read in John chapter 15, we see Jesus extending a friend request, if you will, to his apostles. That's exactly what he says to them. He says, I have called you Friends. And of course, the Bible has a lot to say about friends and about friendship. The Bible tells us that good friends are helpful and needed in life. Where friends, if we're going to have them, they need to be chosen and selected very carefully. The Bible tells us that friends can be just a great blessing as we go throughout the journeys of life. But one of the things that you always have to remember when you talk about friendship is that friendship is a two-way street. I can't stand up here and say, now me and Hunter, we are really great friends. I can't say that if Hunter doesn't agree to that friendship. Hunter may, I may be up here saying, man, me and Hunter are just the best of friends. And Hunter's over here like, I don't really want to be friends with that guy. He's kind of weird. That's not going to work, is it? Friendship 
has to be reciprocated. It's a matter of giving and taking. It's something that reciprocity there. It has to be shared and agreed upon by both sides. Well, in John the 15th chapter, Jesus is extending an opportunity for friendship. And as He says these words to His disciples then, I believe we can pretty much say He's saying those same words in another way to us today. Jesus is putting Himself out there saying, I want to be a friend to you. The question is, are you a friend to me? Are you my friend? Are you a friend of Jesus? Remember, friendship, it's two-way street. Jesus is more than willing to be our friend. And we'll talk about that as we move along here. Am I willing, are you willing to be His friend? This evening I want to talk about what I believe are just some very basic and fundamental things, fundamental qualities and characteristics of what it means to be a friend of Jesus. We don't just want to be an acquaintance of Jesus. We don't just want to be an associate of Jesus. We don't just want to be a colleague of Jesus. We want to be a genuine friend of Jesus. What exactly does that really mean? I believe those three verses that we just read in John 15, they really provide us with just the perfect stepping stone to develop some ideas of what it means to be a friend of Jesus in the same way that He is a friend to us. And I want to suggest that that all has to begin just right out of John 15, that a friend of Jesus is someone who keeps His commandments. Would you look at the text again? Look at verse 14. Jesus says, You are my friends if you do what I command you. That word if suggests to me that this friendship, well, it is conditional in some ways. In fact, back in chapter 14 of this same gospel, in chapter 14 and verse 15, Jesus said something very similar there. He said, if you love me, then you're going to keep my commandments. What Jesus is saying in verses like these is that this right here is how you prove true friendship. You keep my commandments. You keep those commandments. You follow those commandments. You live by my commandments. It means simply we're going to do the things that Jesus has told us to do. And if that means doing hard things like loving our enemies, well then that's what I'm going to do. If that means hearing and believing the gospel and repenting and turning from sin, and confessing Jesus as God's Son, and being baptized in water for the remission of sins, and living faithfully all the days of my life, then, well, then that's exactly what I'm going to do. If that means placing Jesus even above my other friends, or even above a family member, a mother or a father, then that's what I'm going to do. And if that does mean living faithfully and enduring persecution and difficulties all the way until death, then that's what I'm going to do. No matter how hard those commandments are, no matter how inconvenient those commandments may be, a true friend of Jesus is somebody who's going to do those things no matter what. Not even going to ask questions about that. And when we do that, what that means is, is that means that the phonies, the fakes, the imposter friends, the people who claim to be Jesus' friend but they really aren't, well, those people are going to be exposed pretty quickly. The true friends are going to come shining through because they're keeping Jesus' commandments. In fact, in Luke chapter 6 and in verse 46, Jesus asked the question to some folks who were pretty much being phonies and fakes in their uh, you know, discipleship, if you will. He asked the question, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do the things that I say? 
Why are you pretending to be my friend when you don't even keep my commandments? That's kind of the base level starting point to this friendship. Jesus is not interested in people who profess to be great friends of His, but they don't then show that and demonstrate that in their actions. When we fail to keep Jesus' commands, what we are doing is we are essentially stabbing our friend in the back. We're saying, Jesus, I'm not your friend. I don't care what you say. I'm going to do things my way. I'm not doing them your way. As we drive that knife deeper and deeper and deeper. It's not how a true friend acts, is it? A true friend of Jesus is going to be obedient no matter what. In fact, I'll take that a step further. Look in James chapter 2. In James chapter 2, James speaks about Abraham. And I tell you, one of the greatest compliments in all of the Bible is given right here in James 2 about Abraham. In James 2, beginning in verse 21, James says there, James 2 verse 21, he says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. Why was Abraham called the friend of God? It's because he was obedient. It's because he kept the Lord's commandments. Even if that meant sacrificing his son on an altar, Abraham was willing to prove his friendship to the Lord. Jesus tells us in the same way, we can prove our friendship for him by keeping his commandments. What we need many times is the attitude that Peter had in Luke chapter 5 and verse 5. Sometimes the Lord commands us to do things that, man, I just don't understand. Well, what's the point of this, Lord? Why do you want me to do this? We need the attitude that Peter had in Luke 5, 5 that says, Nevertheless, even if I don't understand it, nevertheless, at your word, Lord, I'm going to obey. I'm going to do what you have commanded. Because I'm your friend. And I'm going to do not just some of those commands. I'm going to do not just the easy of the commands. I'm not going to do just the convenient commands. No, if we do that, then that only makes us a... A kind of, sort of, maybe almost not quite all the way friend of Jesus. We want to be an all the way friend of Jesus and we want to do that by starting out by keeping His commandments. As soon as I say that, then the second thing I want to say about being a friend of Jesus is it means that I'm going to be someone who is not ashamed of my friend Jesus. If you go back to John chapter 15, I think we see clearly that Jesus, He wasn't ashamed of His friends, the apostles. Jesus says just point blank, You are my friends. And for the better part of two and a half to three years or so, Jesus was in their company, and He wasn't embarrassed of those twelve guys. He wasn't reluctant to be seen around them. He didn't act, you know, kind of hiding His face, like, I don't want to be seen around Peter. That guy's always putting his foot in his mouth. No! Jesus didn't act that way. And why? Because that's not the way friends act about each other. Back when I was in grade school, there was these two guys that I was buddies with, Jeff and Chuck. Jeff and Chuck were the best of friends. Anybody who went to Broadhead Elementary, you know, K through 8th grade, during the time that I was there, they would tell you those two guys, just two peas in a pod, Jeff and Chuck, just kind of just flowed together, Jeff and Chuck, Jeff and Chuck. However, when they got to high school, Jeff started hanging around some of the more, some of the more popular kids in school some of the jocks and some of the folks that ran along with that particular crowd. And when that happened, he didn't abandon his friendship with Chuck altogether. No, he just didn't hang around Chuck whenever the cool kids were around. 
whenever the people who could kind of advance his popularity were around, I just not really don't want to have, don't want them to know that I'm friends with Chuck over here. And I remember looking at that, and I would observe that. Like I said, I was buddies with both of them. And I just thought that seemed like a pretty lopsided, one-sided friendship. Jeff, it appeared to me, was ashamed of Chuck. And he didn't want others to know that he was a friend to Chuck. But when we talk about being a friend of Jesus, we need to point out that there were some in his day and time who kind of treated Jesus in the exact same way. In John chapter 12, in John chapter 12 and in verses 42 and 43, we read about a group of people who they believed the stuff that Jesus was teaching. They were persuaded and convicted. In fact, maybe somewhere deep down in their heart, they wanted to obey him, point number one. But look at this, John 12 verse 42 The text says there, nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Had these men loved the praise of God more than the praise of men, then they would have confessed Jesus. They would have made it known, yes, we are his friend and he is our friend. But what we see is we see that despite their little kernel of belief that they did have, they were ashamed to be identified with the Lord. And I want you to understand that Jesus does not take that kind of rejection lightly. In fact, in Mark chapter 8 and in verse 38, Jesus forewarned exactly of what will happen to people who are ashamed to be known as His friend. In Mark chapter 8, look at verse 38. In Mark chapter 8 and in verse 38, Jesus says, For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. We have a phrase that we sometimes use, one good turn deserves another. That's kind of what Jesus is saying here. If we're ashamed to be known as a friend of the Lord now in this lifetime, And there is coming a day when the tables are going to be turned. And the Lord's going to do the exact same thing to us when we stand before Him in final judgment. What that means is, is that means if we're ashamed to be called and be known as a Christian, amongst our friends and amongst our peers, if we are ashamed for people to know where it is that we worship and where we go to church, if we are ashamed to stand up for what we know is right, if we're afraid to speak up whenever the Bible or maybe the Lord is being slandered and spoken evil of, when we are ashamed to boldly declare what we know to be true and what we know to be right, there's coming a day where there's going to be reckoning. You know, we sang that song a few moments ago, I found a friend in Jesus. He's everything to me. And it's easy for us to say those words and to sing that song in here, in the company of other believers, when we're around people of like, precious faith, the question is, do we say that? Do we demonstrate that out there? When we're amongst the world? Or are we ashamed of Jesus? You know, sometimes that does happen with young people. Where young people kind of kind of start having some fears about that. Paul spoke to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1 verse 8. He told this young man, this young brother in the faith, he said, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. It's not how a friend acts. Don't do that, Timothy. Instead, point number three, a true friend of Jesus is going to be somebody who tells others about Him. Isn't that how a real friend acts? 
a real friend is going to say, oh yeah, you know William? Yeah, I know William. William is a cool guy. Kind of a prankster. He was switching the titles on the men and women's restrooms before church was started. You all didn't even know that. I like William though. Man, that, that William, man, what, what a cat he is. And in conversations, you can usually tell who a person's real friends are because they, they tend to talk a lot about that person. They speak very highly of that person. They maybe will tell stories of experiences and things and memories that they have with that person. They'll even find ways to, to praise that special friend, to, to accentuate and highlight their good qualities while at the same time downplaying some of their flaws. A true friend tells others, yes, he is my friend. And I'm proud of that and I'm glad of that. Well, in the same way, we ought to have the kind of just unfiltered, unbridled approach to confessing, professing our allegiance to our friend Jesus. If we truly are His friend, here's the kicker, we're going to want to tell other people about Him. See a great example of that in John the 4th chapter. Would you find John 4? In John chapter 4, this is the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. This woman has had an encounter with Jesus. She becomes acquainted with Him, gets to know Him a little bit, and they have this discussion about water, about living water. And in the course of that conversation, she comes to realize she's talking to the Messiah. She is talking to the Christ. Notice what she does afterward in response to this new friend that she makes. In John chapter 4 and in verse 28, John 4 verse 28 says, that then they said to him, excuse me, I'm in the, there we go, I'm in the wrong chapter, John chapter 4, that looks more familiar. So the woman left her water jar and she went away into town and she started saying to people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and they were coming to him. See what happened there? Upon making this new friend with Jesus, this woman went and practically told everybody that she came into contact with, hey, come and see. This guy is still here in town. you got to come and hear this guy. you gotta, you got to talk to him. you got to listen to the things that he has to say. This man, I am convinced, he is the Christ. And as a result of her efforts, you keep reading in John 4, many of the Samaritans end up believing in Jesus. Of course, this idea of telling others about Jesus, it is something that we see Christians in the pages of the New Testament just doing all over the place. Jesus, of course, when He commissioned His apostles in Mark chapter 16 and verse 15, part of that commission was, go tell people about Me. Go and spread the gospel. That is the good news about Me. Tell people what I have done. And they did that, I think, not just out of a sense of obligation. They did that because they wanted to. We see that over and over again all throughout the book of Acts and again and again. People telling others about their friend Jesus. However, one of the things that I think is one of the greatest hindrances to doing that, and especially for young people, is fear. Fear just gets in the way and it just provides a barrier. And it keeps us from ever telling others about Jesus. Sometimes we're just afraid we're going to say something that will offend somebody. We're afraid if we say something about Jesus that we'll be looked at as being uncool. People won't want to be our friend or hang around us anymore. We're afraid that maybe we'll say something and they'll ask a question and we won't know how to answer that question. We're just afraid to tell others about the good news. We're afraid to tell others about the holy and the divine Son of God, the Lord of lords and the King of kings. Let me offer you something. The next time that you are kind of just gripped with fear, overcome with fear, 
when it comes to this moment. I know I need to say something about Jesus, but I'm just seized with fear. I want you to stop and ask yourself this question. Why would I be afraid to tell somebody about my friend? What's so scary about that? Yes, He is the Son of God. Yes, He is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. But you know what else? Jesus is also the friend of friends. There's no reason to be shy or to be fearful when I'm talking about someone who is truly my friend. In fact, if He is a true friend, then telling others about Jesus, that's just going to come easy. It's just going to come naturally. It's just going to flow out of us as we speak about this person that we care so deeply about. And I'm going to tell you here, there is actually added incentive to telling others about our good friend Jesus. And it's found in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 32 where Jesus Himself said, Whoever therefore shall confess me before others, him will I also confess before my Father who is in heaven. There's that one good turn deserves another thing once again. Being a friend of Jesus, it has benefits. It has eternal, heavenly benefits. That's one of the ways that we prove our friendship to the Lord. Now, for as much as I've said a lot of things about what being a friend of Jesus is about, let me tell you something that being a friend of Jesus is not about. Fourthly, a friend of Jesus is not and cannot be someone who is also a friend of the world. Have you ever had a friend who got jealous when you started making new friends? That happens especially like in childhood. We find ourselves and we latch on to this is our best buddy, you know, in kind of when we're beginning and this is my first friend. But then we go to school, we go to co-op, we go to these other places and we start making new friends. And before you know it, that original friend starts looking at that with some jealous eyes. What's that all about? You're hanging out with that. You're spending the night at their house. You're doing all kinds of stuff with those new pals. Maybe you've even been that jealous friend yourself. Well, did you know that there is a sense in which Jesus is a jealous friend? Specifically, Jesus is not willing to share our friendship with wickedness. Jesus' friendship is extremely exclusive. Can you go back to that text that we started in in John 15? Look in John 15 again and drop on down a little bit in the passage. In John 15 and verse 19, Jesus continues on and He says, If you were of the world, talking to the apostles, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Jesus says, I chose you and I took you away from the world. And as a disciple, that means that you no longer have that same kind of friendship that you once did with the world, with the people of the world, with the things of the world. Yes, you're in the world, but you cannot be of the world. James takes that a step further in James 4 and in verse 4. When he says there in James chapter 4, he says, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore would be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. Think about that. That takes things to another level. When a person loves the world, when a person loves worldliness, when a person is all about worldly pleasures and worldly things and being around worldly people all the time, they actually become the Lord's enemy. We cannot have one foot over here in the mud and one foot over here in the grass, and somehow think we're going to get the best of both of those worlds. It doesn't work that way. 
Somebody would maybe ask, well, why can't we have the best of both of those worlds? 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Paul asked some rhetorical questions there. What fellowship does righteousness have with unrighteousness? What communion does light have with darkness? Answer, none, nothing. There's nothing in common there. Jesus is over here. He's righteous. He is light. And those who would be His friends, we must be striving to be the same thing. Because Jesus doesn't have anything in common over here with the darkness and with unrighteousness, with things that are diametrically opposed to Him and all that He is. There is no way that we can be a friend of Jesus while at the same time being a friend of the world and being involved in the things of this world. That's, that's not how a friend of Jesus operates. Instead, a friend of Jesus tries to be like Jesus. You know, one of the things that you usually find in, in really, really close friends are the similarities that they often have with one another. Really close friends are often going to have some similar interests. They have some similar ideas, maybe a similar you know, thought pattern, similar sense of humor. They have some of the same likes, some of the same dislikes. And you can tell that they just kind of enjoy one another's company. They have a tendency to, to talk and even act like each other. Tiffany cannot stand it when she's riding in the car and me and Kane are in the car at the same time. It is torture for her because we're simpatico in a lot of ways and so kind of our twisted sense of humor and things along those lines. That's just the way that is with close friends. And the truth is, you probably wouldn't even choose somebody to be your friend if they were just totally the opposite of you and completely different from you in every possible way. In choosing friends, we tend to gravitate toward the people who are most like us, who share things in common with us, or maybe the people that we would most like to, most like to become ourselves. Well, a friend of Jesus is going to be doing just that. We're going to try to be like Him in every possible way. After all, Jesus, He was perfect. He did everything right. If ever you're going to find an example of somebody, how do you live on planet earth? Look at Jesus. He did it all right. He is the ideal model for what a human being ought to be. And that is, that is why we're striving to be like Him. And the Bible encourages that over and over again. For example, in Philippians 2. And in verse 5, as he describes Jesus' humility, Paul says there, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 5 and in verse 2, Paul said there, you need to walk in love as Christ also has loved us. Paul's telling us you emulate the Lord in your humility, in the way that you love. Peter echoes that in 1 Peter 2 and verse 21. He says, be like Jesus because Christ, who also suffered for us, He left us an example that we should follow His steps. He goes on to then describe how Jesus bravely endured persecution, was afflicted and tortured, and yet didn't even lift a finger, didn't even revile in even the slightest way. So we got all these New Testament writers telling us in many ways, be like Jesus, act like Jesus, follow His example. And then, and then we have Jesus Himself saying that very thing. In John the 13th chapter, earlier in that very same evening, when Jesus said the stuff about greater love has no man than this for a man to lay down his life for his friends. Earlier in that same evening, Jesus began the process of washing the disciples' feet. And at the conclusion of going through that act of service, 
and showing them what servanthood is all about. Jesus says this in John 13 and in verse 15. He says there, For I have given you an example that you also should do, you also should do just as I have done to you. Jesus says, if you truly are my friend, then you're going to try to be like me. Jesus wasn't saying that out of some kind of sense of prideful superiority, although if anybody would have had the right to have prideful superiority, it would have been Jesus. But he's saying, follow my example because it's the right thing to do. Do the things that I did. Talk the way that I talk. Think the way that I think. Act the way that I act. In every possible way. You mold yourself, change yourself to where you become more and more like my image. Associate with the kind of people that I associate with. Do the kinds of things that I was involved in so that you can become more like me with each passing day. Truth is, we're going to work on that, but we're never going to get all the way there, are we? We're never going to get to a point where, ah, yep, I'm exactly like Jesus in every single respect. No, that's never going to happen. But we cannot continue in sin, living after the ways of this world, patterning our lives after the filth and the smut that we see all around us on television, on the internet, and then still call ourselves friends of Jesus. Jesus doesn't have anything in common with people who continue in lives of sin and darkness. But we can have things in common with Jesus when we're walking in His footsteps. That, that's the mark of a true friend. And so is this sixth thing. A friend of Jesus is someone who goes the extra mile for Him. You know, true friends are the kind of people who are willing to go to great lengths for each other. The bond that they share will move them to always consider what's best for the other person rather than themselves. When you need to borrow some money, they're right there. They're ready to give it to you. When you need somebody to take you to the doctor, they're going to be right there sitting in the lobby waiting on you. When you're having maybe some marital problems or relationship problems, they're going to be right there to listen or maybe to talk you through that. Even if you need a kidney, I think about Sister Karen and Brother Tim. If you need a body part and you need that in order to live and there's no other donor to be found, I'm going to be there to provide it for you. Proverbs 17 verse 17 says, A true friend loves at all times. That means a true friend is always going to be there for you to do whatever they can, no matter what the circumstance may be. Not going to be a fair weather friend. No, I'm going to be a whatever weather friend. That is the difference between an acquaintance or a colleague and someone who is a friend in the truest sense of the word. A real friend goes above and beyond the call of duty. And when we go back to our original text in John 15... We see Jesus saying that that is the measure of a friend. In the mind of Jesus, a real friend is the one who goes the extra mile. What did Jesus say there? Greater love has no man than this than to do what? To lay down his life for his friends. Jesus says a true friend is somebody who's even willing to die for you. You have a friend that you think would die for you? Well, I can think maybe I have somebody who loves me enough that they would take a bullet for me if necessary or walk out in front of a moving car in order to save my life. I'm not sure if I have a friend like that, but actually, on second thought, I know that I do have a friend like that. I have a friend who was willing to be arrested for crimes he didn't commit, to be unjustly accused, 
to be beaten, to be tortured, to have a crown of thorns placed upon His head, to have nails driven through His hands and through His feet, to be nailed to a cross and to hang and to die in the most gruesome fashion possible. And the amazing thing about that friend is that He was willing to do that for me even when I wasn't His friend yet. In Romans chapter 5, in Romans chapter 5, Paul talks about this. This is a stunning thought to think of what this friend did for me when I was being very unfriendly toward him. In Romans 5 and in verse 6, Paul says, Therefore, while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God showed His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This Jesus wanted to be my friend so much that He died and laid His life down willingly. He did that for me. He did that for you. Now, we know that Jesus has gone that extra mile for us. The tough question now is, are we willing to do the same thing for Him? Are we willing to sacrifice, to forsake all, to deny ourselves, to give up of our time for the Lord and for His kingdom? We're willing to give up of our, of our energy, our emotions, to be spent for the gospel? Are we willing to give even of our money, to give up certain things in order to serve and follow Jesus? Would we be willing even to lay down our lives to die for Him and for His cause? To do that for the Lord. The Apostle Paul certainly was. I think about in Philippians 3 and in verse 8. Paul says, I count all things as loss for Jesus. In Acts the 21st chapter and in verse 13, Paul said, I'm ready not only to be bound, but I'm ready also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. To what lengths are you willing to go? To what lengths am I willing to go to prove our friendship to the Lord? Jesus gave up everything. Gave up the glories and the beauties of heaven. Talked so much this morning about heaven. Didn't really even talk about the fact that Jesus was there. He was already there. And He was willing to leave. To come down here to this wretched place to die for wretched sinners like you and me. He gave up everything. What are we willing to give up for Him? What are we doing in return for our friend? Which leads me to this final thing this morning about the mark of a true friend. If I really am a friend of Jesus, then that means I'm going to be looking forward to seeing Him someday. If you've ever been apart from a good friend, maybe even think about maybe like a cousin or something that maybe you all just kind of lived in different states and you were really close to that, that cousin when you got together or that friend. Just, just circumstances of life cause you all to, to have to go in different directions and you're away from them for a sustained period of time. You know exactly what I'm talking about, the idea of looking forward to seeing that person again. It's just so exciting to be reunited with those old friends and those old relatives. To get to catch up, to get to visit, to get to renew those old bonds. And if that person was a genuine friend, then we're going to be looking forward to that moment. We're counting down the days until they fly in on that airplane and we go and pick them up and we get to put our arms around them and see them again. But when we talk about Jesus, we need to understand that we're actually talking about somebody that one of these days, everybody's going to see. Even the people who were not friends of Jesus, they're going to see Him. 
Everybody who has ever lived and walked on the face of this earth, there's coming a day when they are going to see Jesus. However, on that day of judgment, not everybody's going to be looking forward to seeing Jesus. In Hebrews, the 10th chapter, in verses 26 and 27, the writer there talks about people who are living in sin, willfully living in sin, and how on that day, they are going to be fearful. The New American Standard renders that passage that there is a terrifying expectation of seeing the Lord and recognizing where they are. The sinners, the unfaithful, the people who did not submit their will to the will of King Jesus, they don't want to see Jesus. In fact, they're hoping that that's going to be just put off for a really, really long time because they know of the wrath and the condemnation and the pain and suffering that's going to be poured out on them when He does come. But you know what? For the faithful, for the righteous, the Bible actually paints a very different picture. Because the people who are the true friends of Jesus, they're going to be looking forward in great anticipation of His return. In Titus chapter 2, in Titus chapter 2 and in verse 11, Paul writes there that the grace of God's appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul says there that for God's people, we're not going to dread that moment. We're not going to be wringing our hands and sweating about that moment coming. Instead, we're going to be living in great anticipation of that day. We were singing those songs this afternoon at Gertrude's. And I'm not kidding you, in the middle of all that singing, and the thoughts about heaven, I felt right then and there, if the Lord returns right now, good on us. I'm ready to go. We almost cannot contain ourselves when we are true friends of Jesus. Have you ever thought about what that's going to be like? When we get to see Jesus for the very first time. I, I realize we see Jesus now through, through the eye of faith when we read the Scriptures. We see Jesus in our brothers and sisters whenever they're living and following His example. I, I get that. We see Jesus in those metaphorical ways. But what about when we get to see Him the way that Peter and James and John saw Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration? When we see Jesus in all of His splendor, and in all of His glory, when with our own two eyes, whatever our spiritual eyes will be, can you imagine what in the world is that going to be like? Have you ever thought about what you would do or what you would say the moment that you finally lock eyes with Jesus? I look forward to that moment, probably mainly because I'm not sure what's going to come out of my mouth in that moment. I think I'm going to be inclined to say, thank you, it's going to be the first thing off my lips. Thank you, Lord, for dying for me. For making salvation possible for me. Thank you for loving me that much. I look forward to that moment that maybe I'll get a chance to just throw my arms around Jesus. To hug Him. To embrace Him. I look forward to hear Him say those words, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys of the Lord. I look forward to that day because i got a lot of curiosities about Jesus that I'm hoping are going to be satisfied in that moment. What's Jesus look like? Lots of pictures that people have painted and designed throughout the years. People would say right now that Tanner Hatfield kind of looks like Jesus. I'm not really sure if that's the case or not. But I look forward to getting to see that finally. Look forward to talking to Him. Just kind of being in His presence. Looking forward to the day when faith becomes sight. How about you? Do you look forward 
to that moment? How much are you looking forward to seeing Jesus? Is that something that you you actually right now are kind of dreading the thought of? Is it maybe something that, well, yeah, I'd kind of like to have that happen, but maybe it's kind of not right now? Or are you like me? Where right now, where you are in your life, you are totally fine if the sky rips open and the Lord descends and today is the day that we get to go home. If you had the opportunity right now, would you take that? I look at Paul's words in Philippians 1, verses 21 through 23, and I see a man right there in that moment. He's kind of conflicted a little bit, but he kind of just speaks what's really in his heart. He's looking forward to seeing Jesus more than anything else. Paul says, I am hard pressed between two. I'm hard pressed between the choice of life or the choice of death. He says, what I have is I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Paul wanted to be with his friend Jesus even more than life itself. He was ready to leave this world. He was ready to see his friend and start spending eternity with him. Do you have that same longing to see Jesus? You know, there's a lot of folks who claim to be a friend of Jesus. Lots of folks today like to stylishly wear t-shirts about being a friend of Jesus. Or maybe have a bumper sticker. Or maybe every now and then I'll be a little fanatical and I'll share a meme about Jesus on my Facebook page to let people know that, yeah, I mean, Jesus guy, we're really, really close. But there's an awful lot of people who make those claims, but they don't really live that. They don't act like that. They like to say it, but they don't really show it. My friends, if we are going to truly be a friend of Jesus, we're going to have to prove it. Because if we don't, then naturally... Naturally, that makes us His adversary. And so as we extend the invitation of the Lord, I'll just ask you right now, are you a friend or are you a foe? You'll notice that there's no in-between here. It's one or the other. Are you a friend of the Lord or are you His enemy? Perhaps you're here this evening and you have never become a child of God. You've never become a Christian. You've never become an actual friend of Jesus. I'll tell you, it's not because Jesus doesn't want to be your friend. He's already sent the friend request. He's just waiting for you to click accept. Confirm. Yes, I want to be Jesus' friend. Remember, it's a two-way street. If you tonight would like to become a friend of Jesus, then we can help you to that end this evening by confessing your faith in Jesus as the Son of God, by repenting, turning from sin, and turning to the Lord, and being baptized in water. You can be united with Christ in the likeness of His death. You can become a Christian, come up out of that water, begin serving Jesus, doing the kinds of things that we talked about tonight that show Jesus. Jesus, yep, I'm a friend. Not just in word, but in deed and in truth. You do that, that wonderful place that we talked about this morning of heaven, that'll be your home. You'll get to be with Jesus forever and ever. Perhaps, though, there's somebody here this evening who started out on that direction. You began as a friend of Jesus, but you betrayed that friendship somewhere along the way through sin, through indifference, just failing to do what you ought to do. Do you remember where we began a little bit earlier in John 15? Jesus is there in the upper room. He says those things to the disciples about greater love has no man than this than to lay down his life for his friends. Did you know that there was actually one person 
who was conspicuously absent from that room in that moment? His name was Judas. Because just a few moments prior, he had got up and left that room. And he had went out to betray his friend Jesus. Have you done that? Have you betrayed the Lord through selfishness, through wicked thoughts, through wicked actions and wicked deeds? Whatever you've done, you can make it right. You can come back to the Lord in repentance and humility. Let us pray with you. Let us encourage you, brother or sister, to serve the Lord in a better way. Let's all leave here tonight saying, Jesus is my friend and I am His friend. And I know that because I'm proving it to Him every single day. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could all say that tonight? If you're lacking in any department tonight, something needs to be done about that, do something about that right now while we stand and while we sing.